Have you ever dreamed of being your own boss? Or are you already an entrepreneur that never tires of phenomenal business advice? Buckle on up as you are about to hear from the editor-in-chief of the world's top entrepreneur publication. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on the Motivation Show today is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, which I have been personally reading and picking up ticks from for more decades than I care to admit. He has been an editor at Men's Health, Fast Company, Maxim, and Boston Magazine, and has written about business and technology for the Washington Post, Slate, New York Magazine in my neighborhood, and other magazines. His novel, Mr. Nice Guy, which he wrote with his wife, is currently being developed for television. Welcome to The Motivation Show, Jason Pfeiffer. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I am excited to have you here because I've been reading that incredible magazine that you edit for a very long time, as I said in my intro. Yeah. And uh, I've learned a heck of a lot. And I read your letters to the editor. You've got some doozies there. Oh, thanks. Uh, you mean you mean my letter, like my letters from the editor, the, from uh, the, the column? Editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's the funny. Editor, they, <laughs> there used to be letters to the editor in, in in magazines, and I actually was the one who killed that page in Entrepreneur Magazine many years ago. Because you know the thing is, people aren't just engaging with magazines the way they are now. Instead of sending a letter to the editor, they just tweet, and it's lame to take a tweet and put it in a magazine. Whenever I was, I I'm a big big believer in identifying opportunity where other people hadn't identified opportunity where like what are the things around me that are just sitting on the floor that if you pick up it turns out to be an amazing asset and one of those is the letter from the editor which sounds like a revelation or sounds like not a revelation but as it is i worked for so many editors at other magazines and they treated that letter like it was a table of contents here's what's in this issue and blah 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 and i was like that's not it this is an opportunity for me to connect and build a relationship with the people who are reading so that they know me and my face is a part of the experience of this because people connect not with brands but they connect with people that's my big belief and so i started to use this thing as a way to just connect with readers to motivate them to share my own journey alongside theirs and and the response has been absolutely unbelievable and just you know more validation to my belief that you know that there there are all these things around you at all times that can be more than what they are if only you would treat them as such yeah and what's interesting is i never read a table of contents <laughs> i go right to the letter from the editor when i'm reading entrepreneur magazine and what i really like about it is you draw on your personal experiences and one of the um, articles that you wrote in there, I remember it was a while back, and you talked about how to earn a customer's trust. Yeah. And you got into these uh, examples of these four different locksmiths yes. that had pitched you on a problem that you had. Maybe you might want to tell that story a little bit. 
Sure. So the lesson there was that trust is a competitive advantage. And the way that I came to that observation was that I, and this is, this will date this story to pre-COVID because I was showing up at my office, right, which doesn't exist anymore. And I was locked out. I was locked out of my office. I don't know how. I never locked the door. And this is my actual, you know, like the sort of room office, not the, not. so I didn't know what to do and I couldn't get in. And my colleagues had a lot of fun trying to break in and could not do it. It turns out journalists are very bad burglars. And so I went to Yelp and I searched for locksmiths and I requested a quote from a number of locksmiths. And most of the ones that came back were so dashed off and shady. You know, it would just be like somebody responding. They're just like $39 and that's it. Or, you know, we're like, I will give you lowest price or whatever. And, you know, I just, I don't know anything about locksmithing, but I just knew that something was off with that. And then I got this email from this guy named Jay at Lockbusters. And Jay addressed me by name, thanked me for his inquiry, wrote in complete sentences, asked me for more information. And so I sent him more information. I sent him a photo of the lock, which he had asked for and whatever else he had asked for. And then he quoted me a price that was far higher than all the other ones. And then a couple minutes later, sent me an email and said, actually, I just talked to the shop or whatever. And this lock is, is a particular fill in the blank. I don't understand anything about locks, but actually it's going to be more expensive. Here's the cost. And it, we're talking like $200 more than anybody else had cited me. And so you know what I did? I went with him. I yeah. went with him because he was earning my trust and trust is a competitive advantage. And later I talked to Jay and I said, I said, do you consciously distinguish yourself this way? Like, are you aware of what your competition is? And he was like, absolutely. When I got into this business, I realized everyone is trying to shake everybody else down. It's full of tricks. And I know that if I could just go out there and be a nice, straightforward guy who thanks people for their time and tells them what they need to know, that that alone is going to make me rise up against my competition. And he is so right. It's such a great example because I remember uh, getting my refrigerator fixed. You know, they lure you in with the free uh, inspection of the refrigerator. And then when they get there, they hit you up with, uh, well, there's probably a little coil missing. Now, that'll cost you the price of your entire condo. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> so you'd mm -hmm. rather know, you know from the guy up front, you and know, you this is what you expect. <laughs> right. And you don't want to be taken advantage. You don't want to yeah. feel taken advantage of. And the problem with a locksmith and with so many people is that if you're, you know, you're going to be in the business of taking advantage of people, you know this is probably a one-time engagement. Right. You, you don't you don't get locked out of your apartment every week, hopefully. And therefore, this is the one time you're engaging with this person. And therefore, they feel like that's licensed to go and try to take advantage of you. And to think that's so short sighted, because what Jay and people like Jay do is that they understand that even if this person isn't going to be a repeat customer, there is a long game to play here. And that long game is that if you treat people with respect and you build trust and you use that trust as a competitive advantage, they will tell other people. Word of mouth will spread. Your, your reviews on Yelp will all be five stars, whatever the case is. And eventually you'll find somebody like me who in one way is just a random guy who's locked out of my office, but in, in another way happens to be a guy with a pretty big megaphone. And I'll tell your story over and over and over again. And I have. And you don't get that if you're just looking to try to wring an extra 40 bucks out of me. And that's a, it's a crazy, terrible, short-sighted way to think. It's a valuable lesson, you know, being forthright like that. So Jason, you're working for a world-renowned publication. The epitome of really entrepreneurialism is Entrepreneur yeah. Magazine. What inspired you to be an entrepreneur? And what inspired you to end up working with Entrepreneur Magazine? 
Well, so my journey is a different one. And this is something that I, uh, I, I say different, but maybe not that different because entrepreneurs come from so many different backgrounds. There's so many different things that led people to be entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the way that you talked about entrepreneur in the very beginning of our conversation, I really like hearing, right? You know, you're connecting with it on an almost emotional level. And that's the thing that I wanted to build into our coverage. I realized very early from when I took this job, and I'll explain how I got there in a second, that the one thing that everyone who we talk to has in common, right? Entrepreneur reaches a very broad range of people, from people who are just dreaming of starting their own business, to side hustlers, to to startups, to people who've been in for a few years, to people who are running gigantic venture-backed companies, to to CEOs of public, right? Everybody. And uh, and what is the one thing that all these people have in common? And the answer is the experience of entrepreneurship the emotional mm, experience like of entrepreneurship. That's it. That's, you can get all of them into a room and speak to that. And even though the stakes might be different for everybody, the experience of it, the human experience is the same. And so that's how I tend to think of our coverage and how I approach entrepreneurs, because you know you can find plenty of other places to go tell you how to price a product, but I want to be the place that you come to because we understand what it means on a human level to be an entrepreneur, and we're going to speak to that. And so anyway, that's a little preamble to how, how I, my own journey. So I, you know, I really, I don't have a business background. My background is in media. I was a newspaper reporter and then I became a magazine editor and I've written for and worked for a ton of different brands. And when I became, I originally got the job as an entrepreneur as the executive editor, which is the number two in a publication. And I will be honest with you, this was about five years ago. I saw it really as just another media job. I'm going to come in. I'm going to make the magazine better. I'm going to work with the brand. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I had always done. And then I started talking to entrepreneurs all the time. And they think so much differently than anybody else I had ever come in contact with. And the network that I had built of media people. Entrepreneurs are people who are constantly thinking about building things on top of things, right? Instead of putting something out in the world and then moving on, which is what I used to do, they think about, I'm going to create this and this is going to lead to this and this is going to lead to this and this is going to lead to this. And everything is part of one coherent journey, even though it might be zigzag and it might not make any sense at the time, I am constantly building upon myself. And therefore I'm always looking for what is the next opportunity and how can I leverage the thing that I know now to build for that next opportunity, even if I don't know what the next opportunity is, how could I do things right now if I don't know the ROI on them, but that they're going to be valuable later. This is how they think. And I didn't think like that and absorbing that and talking to people about that completely changed my own approach to my own career. And I started to build outside projects. I created my own production company. I started to think of myself not as a editor, but as an entrepreneur. And I started to think of myself differently in relation to other people. So I wasn't just a guy who makes content for people, but now I'm a person who can stand for something and who can produce something and who can, as Jay does, build trust with people and then leverage that trust to grow with them and grow an audience. This is, it is, I have to tell you, if you are just entering this world, just spending time getting to know how entrepreneurs think and then absorbing that and being open to having that change you, it is a radical experience. Now, Jason, a lot of people would like to be an entrepreneur, but they're stuck in this thing called fear. Yeah. They look at the whole totality of the picture and they get overwhelmed and they you know, say to themselves, how can I possibly get all this done? How can I figure this all out? How can you speak to that? So a couple of things. Number one, you should know that every successful person that you see did not start out anywhere near what you see of them. 
And I, the part of fear, I think, is is comparison. And comparison is faulty because if you set out and you're like, well, I'll never be Jeff Bezos, please understand that Jeff Bezos did not start out as a success. I mean, he started out as like a goofy looking guy who sold books, right? <laughs> and like there was, and this is what everybody's journey is. And they go through so many failures. The number of failures that businesses go through before they reach success is unbelievable. So I encourage you to one, not compare yourself against things that are unreasonable. And then number two, to reframe failure. Failure is not failure. I like that. Failure is data. That's the way to think of it. Failure is data. So you go out, you put something out in the world. It's not going to work very well. It's just not. And then you're going to learn and you're going to get data that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And that frankly, your competitors aren't going to have because they didn't do what you did and they didn't come face to face with whatever challenges you did. And then you can take that and you can build it into whatever you're doing, whatever your product is, whatever your service is, whatever your own journey is. And then you can keep going, you know, Reed Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn and uh, now a venture capitalist, he has this great phrase, which I love, which is, if you're not embarrassed by your first product launch, then you launched too late. And the idea <laughs> there is that nobody is ever going to put something out that's perfect. The best thing that you can do is put something out that is imperfect, but you're taking your best shot at it. And then you're going to see what happens and you're going to learn from it and you're going to grow. And that's the only way to do it. The other, the alternative is to never launch it at all and then just sit there and wonder. And I don't think that's a very good alternative. So I would say if you are afraid, and that's a very reasonable thing to do, then the number one thing to do is just start with some step. Do something so that you are getting some feedback and know going into it that that feedback isn't going to be all positive. It better not be all positive because if it's all positive, you're not going to learn anything. Instead, it's going to be a lot of negative stuff and it's going to be stuff that's going to feel hard and painful, but that is ultimately going to help you build to where you actually want to go. I love what you said about reframing your definition of failure. Because I'm a guy who likes to tell my story of how I failed over 30,000 times in the mean streets of New York City, you know, wearing my three-piece suit back in the old days mm. and 96-degree uh, weather uh, starting my first day in a summer in New York City. And I just went cold calling door to door and I just failed and failed and failed and failed. And guess what? I just kept getting knocked on the canvas, kept yeah. getting back up. And I learned through trial and error that you have to you know, reframe the way you think of a failure. It's just get you one step closer to the sale. That's right. It's all part of the journey, right? I mean, it, it's just not a case where you go out and you succeed immediately. That's not what happens. That's not how it works. So if you think, if you know that you're going to have to hit a number of roadblocks in order to figure out the exact right path, then hitting those roadblocks doesn't feel like failure. It just feels like figuring it out. So what's the most important thing you feel an entrepreneur has to keep an eye on? Is it the books? Is it uh, the kind of employees that he hires? Is it all of the above? I mean, is there one thing that stands out? You mean just as you're juggling things in the in, in the world? Uh, yeah, you know. In other words, uh, why do you think uh, some uh, entrepreneurs fail miserably and others succeed tremendously? Oh, so I think my thesis is that the common trait among successful entrepreneurs is the ability to adapt. People who are willing to embrace change, who understand that uh, that change can be a great opportunity, those are the ones that succeed. And over and over again, this is what I see. And if you want to talk about what does master level embracing change look like? 
what it looks like is seeing change come a mile away and then proactively making change that is painful in the short term, but is good for the long term. And I see entrepreneurs do this all the time where they've built something and it's going well. And then they can see 10 miles down the road that, you know what, in a year or two, the thing that they're doing is no longer going to work. And so instead of sitting around and waiting to slam into that wall and then figuring out once what to do once you've hit the wall, they make the change now when it seems absolutely crazy to other people. When people are saying, what are you doing? This is working, right? It's, it's like, it's imagine blockbuster video saying, you know what? People love coming into these stores and they love renting these DVDs from us. But I know that in three to five years, they're going to want this stuff mailed to them. And then eventually they're going to want it streamed on their television. And therefore we're shutting the stores down right now. People would have said, what? Yeah, right. That is insane. But I'll tell you what, we would be sitting here in year 2020 and possibly still engaging with a company called Blockbuster. That's how you do it. And so that's an extreme example. But I think at all times, entrepreneurs need to be aware that change is a constant, that the future is not optional, and that the only way to get through things, and the only way to be playing the long game is to be aware that no matter what you have built, it has to be open to change. So, you know, we're in a world where things are shifting dramatically in a digital fashion. Uh, everything's going digital. Things are at a breakneck sort of dizzying speed. You know, that gets people overwhelmed. How do yeah. you, you know, deal with overwhelm? How do you deal with being overwhelmed? Well, I'll tell you how I deal with it. I break it down into component parts. I think that oftentimes people get overwhelmed because a problem seems too big or you just don't know where to start. And I like to think of every problem as being the exact same thing, which is to say it's just a problem. I had a revelatory moment when I interviewed the founder of DraftKings for whatever legal reasons they don't use the word sports betting, but come on, it's sports betting. It still takes <laughs> sports betting. Early on, they were growing like crazy. And they had so much attention and they had so much money to spend on marketing, right? They were just doing these advertising blitzes. And then it was about to all come crashing down because at the same time, the Massachusetts and the New York attorney generals started coming after them saying, hey, this is illegal gambling. And that was a existential crisis for the business. That was a challenge to the very fundamental premise of the existence of this business. And so I asked Jason, the founder of this company, how he handled that. How did, how did he process that? And in this very dry way in which he tends to speak, he told me that, you know, it was a big problem, but it was just a problem. It was just another problem to solve, right? It wasn't physics hadn't changed, right? We hadn't been mm -hmm. transported to Mars. It was just another problem to solve. So what do you do? Well, you start to break it down into its component parts. What do you need to solve this problem? Okay, we need to understand the motivation of these people and we need to understand what we could be doing. We need, who do we need on our team now? And you start to figure out what do you need and who do you need and then how do you proceed? And once you do that, you realize that any problem you can break down and any problem is just a problem. It's just a problem. Unless it is a, unless you are dead, you are just facing another problem. You <laughs> that know? puts it into and perspective. That's right. And that's <laughs> otherwise you're just, you're just a yeah. person dealing with a problem. Yeah. And, and I have had, I have in my own career had problems very large and very small and some feel extremely overwhelming. And I find that the best thing to do for me is to just sit down and try to pick it apart so that I understand what it is and I understand what it looks like to get through it. 
Yeah, face it head on and uh, take it piece by piece. That's right. That advice. Jason, how can an entrepreneur be super successful and still have a balanced life and not work seven days? You wonder how these guys are out there on yachts cruising down in, you know, the the intracoastals, uh, <laughs> and yet they've got these businesses that are worth $100 million. How do they do it? Uh, well, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on yachts in the intercoastal, so I, I don't know how to speak to that, but I'll tell you a couple things that I've picked up along the way. So number one, actually a friend of mine recently shared, he, he had found and shared this quote from Shonda Rhimes with me, which I really loved, which was, and I don't remember this exactly, but I'll give you the gist of it. So, you know, Shonda Rhimes, an extremely successful television producer, and she was talking about how in her early days, uh, when she was, uh, she was producing Grey's Anatomy. She would be at the office till like 10 p.m. And this close colleague of hers would take off around dinner time. And she was furious at him for doing so. And he would always tell her, look, you're never going to flatten the mountain, right? The, the mountain is always going to be there and it's going to be there tomorrow. And you're never going to flatten the mountain. So go home and come back tomorrow refreshed. And she didn't do that then. But she says, and this, is, this was the quote that my friend had found, that she realizes it now that you can burn yourself out trying to flatten the mountain and you'll never flatten the mountain. So just know that the mountain is there and know that your job is to tackle it and do that in the smartest and most efficient way that you can. But don't drive yourself insane thinking that you can do something that's simply not possible because it's not possible to flatten that mountain. And then, you know, another thing that I really love is my friend Randy Zuckerberg has a philosophy that she calls pick three. And her thinking on pick three is this. She says, look, there are five important things in life. Friends, family, work, sleep, fitness. Those are the five things. You can't do them all every day. So if you're thinking, can you have it all, which is this cliche phrase, the answer is no. You can't. <laughs> if you think about it in terms of can I have it all every day, you can't. But you can pick three. Every single day, you can pick three of those things, friends, family, work, sleep, fitness, pick three of them and fit those three into the day. And then tomorrow, pick a different mixture of those three. And if you think about that, then you're realizing that you're really operating on two timescales at the same time. There's the day to day, and then there's the macro. And in the day to day, you may not be able to do every single thing that you want to do. But over the long term, you can. It's really all about managing your time and thinking about your time, uh, both in the moment and over the long haul. So what are the three most dangerous words in entrepreneurship? Ha, I think about I, that. I wrote that and now it feels like a pop quiz because I'm not sure exactly what I wrote. I think I wrote that the three most dangerous words are this is impossible. Well, is what I wrote? you are the winner. <laughs> That's, That's impressive. right. That's impressive. Good. Thanks. I wrote, boy, I wrote that in uh, those were the early panicky days of the, uh, I, so in the, in, during the earlier days of the pandemic, I was writing a weekly column that I was emailing out to all of our subscribers. And boy, I was also juggling the kids at home. And those are those are really hard times. So I'm, I'm amazed that I remember anything from those times. But yeah, it, this is impossible. And, and I'll tell you why that they're the three most dangerous words in entrepreneurship. And that's because they become self-fulfilling. If you think that something is impossible, then you're not going to try it. And if you're not going to try it, well, then it sure turned out to be impossible. But what I found over and over again in my own career and in the career of people who I've followed, that when they identify something that seems insane and then they go at it, 
maybe the way that they thought about it turned out to be originally thought about it turned out to not be correct right and the way that they first approached it wasn't right but like we talked about earlier if you think of failure as data and you go towards something and you realize well okay my thesis here didn't exactly work but i just learned this other amazing thing about how to approach it well then you actually do start to get somewhere you start to develop a reality instead of a hypothesis or a belief or a belief that something isn't possible. And so I found that in my own career and in others, that if you say something's impossible, then it turns out to be. And if you refuse, refuse to believe that it's impossible, I mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do absolutely everything in the world, right? I could say that uh, one day I will become an NBA player. And I will admit to you right now, I will never, I will never accomplish <laughs> Come that. Come on, you can't dunk. I will never, <laughs> I cannot. I'm 5'7", I'm and, 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 and ever since I tore my ACL, I don't get a lot of lift. But, um, but that's okay. That's okay, because that's unrealistic. But I think, that, I, I think that if I can be realistic about what my abilities are, what my capacity is, and what can happen if I put the full force of my capacity towards something, then I think that I can do a hell of a lot and I'm not willing to declare that to be impossible. I like that. So in the tw uh, December 2020 issue of Entrepreneur, you talk about that we collectively went through four phases in this new emerging so-called you know pivot world. Right. Can you talk about these, including what you deem the most important one that yeah. I wouldn't go back? Tell us about I wouldn't go back, what that means. That's right. Yeah, you're, you're giving away the, uh, the phase four there. So I think we've gone through four phases. Phase one, panic, absolute panic. Didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Everyone recognized that. And then adaptation. And then as we figured out, okay, well, this is what I guess I've got around me. And then new normal, as we said, okay, well, this is what I'm working with. Let's see what we can build. And then I think the most important and the one that we need to either get to if you're not there or really understand and appreciate if you have gotten towards it is wouldn't go back. And in, when I say wouldn't go back, I do not mean to, to, to suggest that this has been a good time for everybody or that there hasn't been terrible loss and tragedy. But I am here to tell you that in the entrepreneurs who I've spoken with, so many of them from so many different corners of the world and corners of business have discovered that they have been forced into making some kind of change that they wouldn't have considered before. And yet, as it turns out, that opened up a new way of thinking about themselves or their business, a new opportunity that they are so grateful to have that they wouldn't want to go back to a time before. And that can be large and small. I've heard so many versions of it, but ultimately we you, you have to be open to, and I, and I really encourage people to be recognizing that this moment is a moment of great change. And it's a moment in which we are being forced to reconsider the impossible, as I talked about a second ago. What did we used to think was impossible or what did we once discard because it didn't seem to make sense? And how can we now say, you know, maybe there was something to that. Maybe all options have to be on the table. And how can I come away with insights into myself and my business that I will carry with me for the rest of my career? Those are there right now and people are discovering them. And I think we all need to get to wouldn't go back. Well, Jason, in closing the show, tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you. I understand you're a speaker. You have three podcasts yourself. Uh, tell us a little I, bit about that. I do. So here's what I would invite you to do. 
Number one, you can go uh, reach me at jasonpfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N, F as in Frank, E-I, F as in Frank, E-R.com. Sign up for my newsletter. You'll be prompted there. And then you can also find ways to contact me if you so choose. Uh, I'm also very, very responsive on social media. So go on and check um, check me out, uh, Hey Pfeiffer on, uh, on Instagram in particular. And then I have, I'll tell you, one of my three podcasts, it, it's currently, we're actually changing because I'm all about change here. I'm actually changing the name after four years, even though we have a great audience. And uh, the show is the show is currently called Pessimists Archive, and the reason we're changing the name is because it sounds pessimistic. It's not. It's not a pessimistic show. It's actually a show about how change happens, and it takes lessons from history about why people resisted innovation or were fearful of innovation, and how they ultimately got over it, and what it can teach us now about how we can implement change in our own businesses and our own lives. So, why were people afraid of teddy bears in 1907? Total insane countrywide uh, moral crisis over teddy bears. Why would people not step into elevators? Why did uh, leaders of nations spend 500 years trying to ban coffee and chess. These kinds of things, super interesting. And the things that you can learn from them are so applicable to today. So anyway, that show is called Pessimist Archive. I'll be changing the name uh, probably in the new year, but you can you can search for it as Pessimist Archive for quite a while anyway. And so um, I, I hope you'll check that out and feel free to be in touch. I'd love to hear what you think. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Thank you so much for being part of this show today. Hey, thanks, Eli. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. And I'll be reading the next issue of Entrepreneur. You can bet your sweet bippy on that one. <laughs> well, good. We'll be putting it out. I'm working on it right now. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners, and we believe you have greatness within you. If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com to hear more inspiring shows and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.